Hello. Today, in our Bible study on Christ in the Old Testament, here on Search for Truth, we look with Brian, our Bible teacher, at the significance of some Old Testament animal sacrifices. It's recorded in the New Testament in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27 that Jesus drew alongside two of his disciples as they walked to Emmaus. And it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus, being the embodiment of the Holy Word, would not need a written record, nor would he be hindered by the darkness of the late night journey. Now, here's Brian, and he'll tell us about some of the Old Testament sacrifices. He's titled his talk, The Blood of Goats and Bulls. Thanks, John. It's been said by those who study ancient civilizations that a culture's values are exposed in their rituals. I imagine that to be a very fair assessment. After all, the legacy of the pyramids in the land of Egypt would seem to show us that in their culture, thoughts of the afterlife were very important to them. If that ancient civilization had believed that once you're dead, you're dead, there would have been no pyramids. But applying the same approach at a higher level, should we not expect the God-given ritual sacrifices of the Old Testament to reflect the core values God is always looking for in his people? Let's start with a verse from the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. It's already clear from this verse that the Old Testament sacrifices and offerings pointed forward to Christ, who would fulfil them all. As in the words of Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 5, You have not desired sacrifice and offering, but you have prepared a body for me, that is, for Christ, who came to do all God's desire and all God's will. Broadly speaking, there were three basic types of meat offering. The burnt offering, the sin offering, and the peace offering. In the first type, the whole animal, except the skin, went to the altar. It was a complete offering. In the second type, there was an elaborate blood ritual in dealing with sin. The third offering was shared between God, the officiating priests, and the offerer's family. What core values might these reflect? One, we should be totally devoted to God. Two, we should avoid sin and live righteous, holy lives. Three, on the basis of these things, we may experience true well-being in a state of fellowship with God and good relations with others. Now, I'd like us to turn our attention to the particular sacrifices of the Day of Atonement that are central to the book of Leviticus, as shown by the fact of the description of that day being the 19th of 37 sayings of God throughout the book of Leviticus. This is the day, the day of atonement, that's referred to in the letter to the Hebrews when we read, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he, that is Jesus, entered the holy place. That's chapter 9 and verse 12. Once again, it's immediately obvious that the blood of goats and bulls had earlier signified the impending, the coming death of Christ. This day of atonement ritual, annually, was of central importance to the community life of God's ancient people, 
in their service for God. Their continuing corporate worship of the God of heaven actually depended on it. This was because the sins and impurities of the people acted as spiritually toxic contaminants. At this time, God lived in a tent known as the tabernacle, a tent that was placed central to the encampment of his people as they travelled through the desert to the land he promised to their forefathers. I said God's visible presence was central to his people. However, because God is the holy God of heaven and he was interacting with a sinful people on this fallen earth, there had to be, as it were, various buffer zones between God and his people as they, at least representatively, drew near before their God. God's holiness and human sin just don't mix, but are quite incompatible. God's detailed instructions to Moses throughout the book of Leviticus were all about making that crystal clear in the most graphic way. Let's try to visualise that with a sort of bird's eye view back then, or by imagining, if you like, that we've travelled back in time with a modern drone. We begin out in the desert remoteness, with the entire encampment in the distance. We fly in until we come to a surrounding area which can be designated as outside of the camp of Israel. Venturing further, we travel over a portion of the well-ordered groupings of the tribes with all the individual household tents of the families belonging to them. Our flyover now brings us to the courtyard of the place, acting as a portable temple where God lived among his people. The border here is very clearly marked with high and bright imposing screens with just one colourful gate as its entrance. What first dominates this courtyard is an altar with smoke ascending skywards from sacrifices burning on it, being officiated by priests. But next we come to the portable, tented structure itself known as the tabernacle proper. At this point it's necessary to switch on our drone's X-ray capability. This allows us to detect that the tented structure we've mentioned has a partition boundary inside that makes it into two rooms, an outer and an inner. The Bible often refers to just the outer one as the tent of meeting. And it has some furniture, notably a small incense altar. To go further, we're in danger of intruding into the inner space where only one man in those times was authorised to boldly go, that is, into the immediate presence of the holy God. That holy place is characterised by the Ark of the Covenant. Directly above that stood a radiant cloud rising like a pillar and depicting to these people the presence of their God who was in residence there. This was very or most holy territory and we've only been able to access it by proceeding through these many distinct buffer zones, each graded on a scale of holiness, as we might suppose. After having come from the remote and, as it were, profane spaces of the solitary desert, far removed from any fellowship with the Holy God, who is seemingly secluded in the innermost part of this portable temple, now, on missionary journeys to various countries in Africa and Asia, I've sometimes watched as someone, and typically it's been a woman, swept the dust out from the family home. 
Using a primitive brush, she starts deep within the simple house until she makes her way to the doorway, sweeping out the cloud of dust. And then she continues brushing and sweeping the small front yard and out through the gap in the hedge. Even there, she doesn't stop, but keeps on brushing the flat earth until the dust is finally swept away into the surrounding vegetation or bush. Now, listen to a few verses from Leviticus chapter 16 that summarise the annual ritual of the most important day in Israel's calendar year. This is from Leviticus 16 verse 20. When he, and that's Aaron the high priest, when he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. The goat shall carry on itself all their wrongdoings to an isolated territory. He shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he shall offer up in smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar. Now, can you see any parallel with my observation of the lady sweeping the dust out from her home? I mentioned how she started deep within and made her way progressively till beyond the edge of what she considered to be that which belonged to her. Here we read how Aaron, the high priest of Israel, first atoned for or cleansed the holy place of God's immediate presence innermost in the tent. Next mentioned is the fact that he atoned for or cleansed the tent of meeting, which was the next zone moving outwards. Then there's mention of the altar outside in the courtyard at which the entire courtyard area was atoned for or cleansed. The remains of the animal sacrifices that day were burned outside the camp. And there was also a scapegoat, a goat that wasn't ceremonially killed but was directed out into the remote and solitary desert, way beyond the outside place surrounding the camp. It went never to return but went away into the far distance, symbolically bearing the sins of the people. Do you see how this was a systematic cleansing from deep within to the furthest extremity? As we look into our Bibles, we see that the holiness of God cannot coexist with human sin. But amazingly, God wants contact with us. He wants us to approach him in worship. He's done everything to make this possible. The writer of the New Testament letter to the Hebrews explains the relevance of Leviticus chapter 16 to people everywhere today. It's there we read. It was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these things, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made by hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. God was picturing ultimate realities for us by using these Old Testament rituals. There is a reality in heaven where sinners who've been forgiven through the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus, on the cross, can draw near to express their gratitude to the infinitely holy God, even if we believe we are following the Lord Jesus' instructions as we draw near among his people to worship him in heaven each week, 
we must always remain conscious that we live in a defiling world and the God we come to is a consuming fire. After cleansing the things in heaven, his blood invites us near as worshippers. But we still come respectfully and tread softly with reverent fear for the God we worship is awesome beyond anything that we can appreciate. What an unspeakable privilege that we can know this God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his Son. I'm sure you'd find it helpful for further study to obtain the transcript book of all 12 talks in this series and then you'll benefit even more from these radio talks. The book is available online and either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Alternatively, you can request a hard copy book by asking for the title Christ in the Old Testament. Don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. And you can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And once again, it's been great to enjoy your company today. Thanks for taking time to be with us. And do join us again next week for the next talk in this series on Christ in the Old Testament. It's called The First Fruits, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. So that's all we have until next time. It's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. See you again soon and in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. On him by thee our sins were when he for sin atonement made, our every sin